listener-supported KFUO, the messenger of good news. You can find us in St. Louis on AM850 KFUO, and we're worldwide at KFUO.org. Today, we welcome back our special Advent and Christmas guest, the husband of Mary and the father of Jesus, Joseph himself. Good to be back. It's good to talk to you again, Joseph. Last week, you were explaining to us that the righteous man is not necessarily someone who does right, but it is someone who has faith. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Righteous people will do good works, but the works do not make them righteous. Rather, the works are the fruit of the faith that makes them righteous. No doubt you bore such fruit. After God came to you in a dream, you acted against your own reason and took Mary to be your wife. My question today is, why and how? What was it about that dream that God sent you that gave you faith to act in the way you did? Well, Gary, as as I said last week, it had nothing to do with it being a dream. (laughs) Trust me, don't ever base a crucial decision upon any dreams you might have had. What impressed me about this dream was that it clearly directed me to a very specific word of God. According to Matthew, that word was, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Ah, yes. See see the classic words of Isaiah. Uh, You see, my reason rebelled at the thought that my wife could be a virgin and still pregnant. And yet that is exactly what God had promised in that passage. The Emmanuel, the God with us, would indeed be the child of a virgin. As impossible as it sounded to my fleshly ears, it fit the prophecy of the Messiah perfectly. What is the specific word of God that convinced you to take Mary as your wife, despite her troublesome circumstances? Well, it it was a very important word. Uh, And how can a man say what particular word changed his heart from doubt to belief? Certainly the words of Isaiah comforted me, but there were other things the angel said that caught my attention as well. Right. You said last week that the name Jesus had a tremendous impact on you. Why would that be? Well, for one thing, it verified what Mary had said to me. When I confronted her, she told me the story of an angel who visited her with words about how the Holy Spirit would come upon her. (laughs) To be honest, at first, I just thought it was a cock and bull story. The greatest flight of fantasy I had ever heard. She was either crazy or a terrible liar. But in her story, the angel had told her to name the baby Jesus. Can you see how that fact rang true for me? For here in my own dream, the angel had also told me to name the baby Jesus. Okay, I don't want to be a skeptic, but how did you know it wasn't just your own mind supplying all these details? As you fell asleep, you certainly must have been thinking about Mary's story. It would have been easy to unconsciously add these various particulars to your own dream. Well, it wasn't just the similarity of the name Jesus. There was something else about that name that struck me personally, that struck me with faith. Yes, this is what you were talking about last week, the personal significance of the name Jesus. You promised you would explain it to us again this week. How does that name impact you individually? 
and and so I will explain it. But again, let me go at it in a roundabout way. <laughs> could, could we go back to the beginning of Matthew chapter one? You're referring to the genealogy that Matthew provides, or as you called it, the origin of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's it. You want me to read the whole thing? Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> that won't be necessary. I just want you to think about genealogies for a second. When, when we tell people the ancestry of our families, who do we usually emphasize? Usually people who are noteworthy, people who are successful, who have had a role to play in history and, and so on. We all like to say our families came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> and yet, yet who does Matthew list in the genealogy of Jesus? It's filled with such people. There are the great fathers of Israel. There's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. There are the great kings, David, Solomon, Hezekiah. Say, there's that King David stuff again. Yes, Gary. Just be patient. We'll get to the significance to King David in time. But right now, I want you to take a closer look at that genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. What surprises are to be found? In fact, since you mentioned King David, read the verse that details his part in the genealogy. Matthew 1.6, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by wife Uriah. Boy, talk about letting the cat out of the bag. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what releasing a feline from a sack has to do with it, but I can tell by your tone of surprise that you got my point. If we're listing the greats of Israel, of course we would mention Jesse and David and Solomon, but there's certainly no reason to mention the wife of Uriah. Isn't it true, for the most part, Jewish genealogy didn't even mention the wives? It was only the male descendants that were considered important, right? That's true, which makes Matthew's mention of Solomon's mother even more striking. Not only that, he doesn't list her so much as Solomon's mother, but as Uriah's wife. Of course, calling to mind one of the darkest days of the kings of Israel. Here we have the greatest king Israel ever knew, David. I suspect he was a righteous uh, man. He was, and yet he lusted for the wife of another man. He impregnated her and then tried to cover it up by having her husband, Uriah, killed. We think people are bad in our day. The great King David was also an adulterer and murderer. Oh, he would suffer the consequences of that indiscretion. The blood of Uriah would be a curse upon David's family for the rest of his life. The child that Uriah's wife bore would die. Another son by the name of Absalom would lead a rebellion against his own father, David. But, but God would forgive David, and he would bless him with another child who would go on to become the second greatest king of Israel. King Solomon. Who was, as Matthew points out, the child of Uriah's wife. I'm thinking about the issue with women and genealogies. I notice there's all sorts of other women in this genealogy as well. Right. See, you wouldn't expect any women, and, and all of these women have a checkered past. For example, there there is uh, Simone, the mother of Boaz by Rahab. Yeah. <laughs> checkered past, indeed. She was a prostitute. And then there is Ruth, who is someone far worse than a prostitute. What was Ruth's problem? She was a Gentile, a goyim, as we would say. She was not even part of the chosen people of God. There is no way she should be mentioned in the lineage of the children of Abraham. So why does Matthew mention all these people, and what does all this have to do with the significance of Jesus' name to you? Well, first of all, you must ask yourself what all these people have in common. That's an easy answer. They're all sinners. The origin of Jesus is traced through the history of sinful man, which is important, as the author of Hebrews tells us. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. For surely it was not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, or because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And yet the author of Hebrews reminds us that even though he shares our flesh and blood, even though he is tempted as we are, he is yet without sin. Precisely. Because as we saw last week, his origin is also with Almighty God. Conceived not by the will of man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Born without sin, to live a life without sin, to give ransom for those who are born and live in sin. I understand all that and appreciate your insights about the genealogy of Jesus, but what does all of this have to do with the Jesus name being so important to you, Joseph? Well, don't you see, my name is part of that genealogy as well. Like all those we've spoken of, I am a righteous man, born in sin and conceived in iniquity. At the first suggestion of my wife's infidelity, I jumped to the conclusion that she must be a liar and a whore. For all of the discreetness of my intended actions, it was still my intent to abandon her and her child. I almost did the most sinful thing any husband could do. If God had not prevented me, I might have put an end to the Christmas story right then and there. But God did prevent you. He intervened. Yes, but my point is, why did God intervene? Because I, Joseph, was so good? Because my intentions were so holy? No, I tell you, simply because God would keep his word and promise to send a Savior. I think I'm finally beginning to understand why the name Jesus had such a profound effect on you that day. It wasn't just that he would be named Jesus, the one who saved God's people, but the angel told you to name him Jesus because he would. Save his people from their sins. I was to name him Jesus because he would save me from my sins. When the angel told me how wrong I was about Mary, I was crushed. How could I have thought such horrible things about this woman my heavenly father had given me? I would have despaired of any reconciliation with her after my harsh words and plans. But the name Jesus, don't you see, gave me hope. God had dealt with me in forgiveness, and perhaps Mary would as well. And she did. She willingly consented to be your wife and submitted herself unto your headship. And that brings us to the subject of the stories to come. We will talk about next week what it truly means for a husband to be head of the family and what it truly means for a wife to submit. Thanks, Joseph. We look forward to that, and we appreciate you teaching us what it truly means to be righteous. It means to have faith that whatever the Word of God says is true. It means to have faith that even the best of us are sinners and that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Next week, the story of Bethlehem. Thanks, Joseph. And I look forward to talking to you next Monday. Goodbye, all. We are the messenger of good news worldwide at KFUO.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and wherever you get your podcast.